Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. Nice. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder ready. at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on a sermon series from the book of James. In a sermon titled Patience, Pastor Bob looks at the injustice we commit against others and the injustice committed against us. How do we think about this passage in James and identify with those who are being exploited? And what does it mean to be actively patient as we wait for God's justice? All that and more is on the table today as we dive into James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Bob, in chapter 5, James once again returns to warning the rich. Can you remind us again who these rich people were? Sure, Matt. This is actually a very uh, interesting question. There's a lot of debate around it. Um, Mm -hmm. James seems to address well-off people at least three times in his letter. Once in chapter 1, he tells the rich to boast in their humility. Uh, Once right before this passage, when he warns them about making plans around commerce, and then here— and the question is, are they the same group of people? It, mm. it's, it's hard to imagine the wicked rich who are holding back laborers' wages are actually a part of James's congregation that he's writing to, uh, congregations. Um, mm. Both church and synagogue had discipline mechanisms to keep that from happening. So the rich in this passage would have been kicked out of these churches. Hmm. But it seems like the previous times the rich are addressed, they are addressed, they actually are supposed to be there listening, right? They are told to do or not do something about their situation. Whereas here, these rich are simply told to weep and wail. Hmm. And uh, that's a common way of talking about, you know, coming swift destruction. So. One question is, you know, like, well, then who really were these people? And these were connected large landowners who could use the justice system to acquire people's lands and, and withhold payment of wages. And mm-hmm. we find these people in every settled civilization that has private ownership of property. But in each region, there are certain times of greater concentration of wealth or growing concentration of wealth. This was one of them, uh, one of those times in the Eastern Mediterranean. So James is describing actual experiences of at least some of the believers in these churches. And, you know, in our day, we still have people like this, right? Though Mm -hmm. they are Mm -hmm. reviled uh, if exposed. And while our justice system is far from perfect, it works much better than the one 2,000 years ago. These Predatory practices were common and embraced. There was no sense or value that all people were created equal, endowed Mm. with the common rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, which that third phrase, pursuit of happiness, originally was property, and Jefferson uh, put pursuit of happiness in its place. And of course, even our founding fathers struggled with with these ideals as they were uh, owning slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is a, a hard process, and and something that uh, is still our culture is waking up to this idea of everyone uh, having equal rights. And finally, mm-hmm. on this point, it's important that James pronounces only judgment on these people. He doesn't give them hope for repentance, and yet Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and pronounce mm-hmm. judgment, and Nineveh repented to Jonah's disgust. Right, so even <laughs> right. even the straight pronouncing of woes mm-hmm. can work as grace in someone's life and lead them to repentance before it's too late. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know we're a rich church, and um, relatively, 
relatively, yeah. I mean, Silicon Valley. We got people that that you know, maybe, maybe it's not Bel Air, right? Um, but at the risk of losing church members, are the rich people in our church comparable to the rich people warned in this passage? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. Uh, I, again, it, if they were comparable, um, specifically in terms of you know this sort of direct exploitation, they would come under discipline. Yeah, um, right. You know, there there have certainly been reports over the years uh, of companies here in Silicon Valley entering into private agreements with each other to suppress wages of professionals or, you know, when managers mistreat workers because they're on a special visa, right? Those might be comparable, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know of any of our people engaged in that kind of activity, uh, you know, engaged as slumlords, engaged mm-hmm. in some kind of, you know, shady um, quasi-legal fraud schemes. I don't know of any of those people, and I, and I, and I would be surprised right. uh, if any of our people were involved in that. So, you know, we're saying that, or are we saying it's possible to become wealthy without exploitation? Of course, yeah. I mean, there's a a large catalog of the righteous rich in Scripture, Mm -hmm. starting with Abraham, right? We see Jacob, Joseph, David, Nehemiah, Joseph of Arimathea, Lydia, Barnabas. But one of the reasons we know about them and can name them is because they stand out for their generosity, Hmm. hospitality, and courage, right? And so mm-hmm. if we want to talk about like, well, what does it, you know, what's the difference between, you know, the wicked rich and the righteous rich? Mm-hmm. Um, those those three descriptors are important, generosity, hospitality, and courage. Mm-hmm. So then how should we read this, this passage today? Are we to identify with the rich oppressors? Probably not. Or the, uh, the poor exploited? And what if we feel like we're neither? Neither. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, the only time we should identify with the rich oppressors is when we are repenting. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but no, we are not supposed to identify with the rich oppressors in that way. And I agree that, and this is what I said in, in the sermon, is that probably most of us also don't feel like the exploited poor mm-hmm. or marginalized. Uh, for many of us, the the boundary stones have fallen in pleasant places. Uh, to to quote the psalm, so. Um, the the world now is far more complex. Uh, so mm-hmm. so there are people on the front lines doing this nearly face to face to other people. There are slumlords, there is predatory lending, there are slaveholders. Mm-hmm. Um, but these people, I mean, there, there's criminals, there's thieves, there's there's pirates. I mean, isn't that crazy? There's yeah, it's there's right. pirates. It is crazy. Yeah, you know? right. Um, I know. But these are people far far from us. Right. Mm-hmm. Many. Many degrees of separation, many buffers in between. But what that means is that this global economy, in the global economy, everyone is connected. And and nations and governments can be influenced or forced to do better at protecting people. I mean, why aren't our navies uh, dispatched to stop pirates, right? I mean, so Mm -hmm. we could do something about this, right? So all of us are participating in this global economy to some extent. And if we're well off, then we are to some degree benefiting from this globally connected economy. Hmm. Uh, and most of us have at least a tiny bit of leverage to do something about exploitation, uh, whether it's pressuring our governments, or our companies, whatever else. And, and whether that exploitation is happening in, in vegetable fields in our country or massage parlors or in sub-Saharan hmm. Africa. Mm-hmm. right? So most of us feel like we're neither exploiters nor exploited, yet we are benefiting from an economy that still indisputably exploits millions of workers one way or another. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it would be wise and behoove us to repent of the ways we might benefit from exploitation and then identify with the exploited. This is what God does in his son Jesus, right? Kings are born hmm. in palaces, we're told, but that's not how Jesus came into the world. He lived as a refugee, a day laborer. He faced poverty. He was targeted by state authorities and forced and, and faced a rigged court system. Hmm. This is how God chose to live as a human, and he commands us to take up our cross, a symbol of social shame and ostracism, to take it up and to follow him. So we have to identify with marginalized outsiders. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we we you know we long for justice for the ways in which we've been harmed, but we fear coming justice for those whom we've harmed ourselves. So what's the biblical way to think about justice? I think it's indisputable what we see in scripture is that justice is coming for all. Right? We all must give an account for what we've done. And and one thing scripture continuously warns us about is that we usually overplay how we think others have harmed us, mm-hmm. and we usually underplay how <laughs> right. we think we've harmed others, right? right. I mean, and just a, an easy example is Ma- uh, Jesus and Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount talking about taking the log out of your own eye before mm. you take the speck out of your brother's. We are told to wake up and recognize judgment begins at the house of God, and, and Peter uh, repeats that in, in First Peter. So in, in the case that there would be in, in the case there'd be no hope for anyone, right, because mm-hmm. we we have all done injustice, right? So if, if we're all going to answer for what we've done, we're all in trouble, except mm-hmm. that God has seen to it to satisfy the demands of justice in his son Jesus on the cross. His death can pay for our injustice that we've done to others as he identifies with us as we are victims. He suffers in the place of a lawbreaker, but also takes the place of a victim. This way, God's justice is satisfied and those in Christ can be redeemed and restored. The point is, every wrong is paid for, nothing escapes proper consequences. Mm -hmm. And if that were not the case, if injustice went unpunished and unaddressed, then you'd be a fool to work for justice for others. Instead, you should spend your time building up power to protect you and your loved ones from any injustice coming your way. So Mm -hmm. we, we we will... We shouldn't work for justice unless we believed in ultimate justice that someone like God would have to impose. And yet it seems that justice is long in coming, right? So, um, I mean, what does it mean to be patient concerning justice? And is that the same thing as being passive? Yeah, I mean, the Bible tells us um, that that it is it is hard, um, that, that ultimate justice has not been applied yet, that there is waiting involved. Um, no matter what the limited justice we can achieve here on earth, we are still waiting for full justice at the return of Jesus and the final judgment. So there's this call for patience and waiting, mm-hmm. uh, and we see it throughout the prophets in the Old Testament into the New Testament. And of course, this can be thought of as passivity. Um you know, basically saying, uh, don't worry about anything here on earth. It's all going to be taken care of when Jesus returns, mm-hmm. right? You'll forget it all when you're raptured and go up to heaven. All this is going to burn anyway. It doesn't really matter. But mm-hmm. this is the wrong view of Jesus' return, of, of the eternal destiny of his people, and the meaning of patience and waiting. We are not called to be passive. Um, we are not called to simply abdicate uh, our responsibilities and roles here. We are called to stand and fight. Mm-hmm. And, and our struggle is not ultimately against flesh and blood, so our tools are not ultimately physical but spiritual. So a Christian's job is to faithfully, 
patiently wait. And what that means is we live in a way that declares this justice is done on the cross and it is coming. We live in a way that is informed by hope in ultimate justice. We live in a way that will call people to repent of their injustice. If the ultimate order of things is justice and that's where we will live eternally, then how can we operate now as if it doesn't matter? Right? Hmm. This is Paul's basic argument about fighting sin and pursuing sanctification. Basically, live as you are, right? Become what you are becoming. Do what hmm. you are becoming, right? So patience is not passivity. This promise that one day God will set everything right. It's not a way for rulers to quiet down the masses and continue exploiting them. It is a promise that is meant to call people to repentance where they have sin, call people to action where they have opportunity, and call people to hope where there is no other recourse for justice. So we know that justice on earth is rarely satisfying. Indeed, it's sometimes injustice. So why not take justice into our own hands? Yeah, I mean, we, we really are tempted to do that. We want to do that oftentimes, don't we? Mm-hmm. So much of this depends on our definition of justice. Often we talk of justice as sort of evening the scales, um, paying back what's been done. And in fact, the symbol of justice, right, is the blind the woman scales. holding the scales, yeah, right? right? Blindfolded, not blind. Right. Um, because justice is supposed to be blind. But that is not the full definition of justice, particularly when you look at the cross. The cross is not just about paying for wrongs. The cross is about ending all wrongs Hmm. and and rising from the dead to redeem. Full justice is restorative. And so when we take justice into our own hands, it's usually about vengeance, right? Paying back. And vengeance ultimately is not satisfying. It it actually doesn't feel that good to make someone else hurt because Hmm. they've hurt you or someone you love, right? We want to do it. I mean, it's, it's just like sin. We want to do it. Man, we think it's really going to make us feel better, but it actually doesn't. And, and all you need to do is watch children. If you're, if you're a parent, you see this uh, in your children, the way they treat their sibling. One hurts their sibling back because they were hurt. Just ask them afterwards, do you feel better? Hmm. They don't. It, it doesn't hmm. make them feel better. True justice needs to restore what was broken or taken from you and even extend the possibility of restoration to the perpetrator. When you can extend the possibility of restoration to your oppressor, they no longer have any real power over you. Hmm. This is what the cross does. The price of the injustice is paid. The wrong is redeemed and turned right. The sinner and sinned against can meet together and be at peace under the cross. That's full justice and something we can never accomplish in our own power. Amen. Um, So let's talk about what we can do to be actively patient then. Uh, You mentioned four applications, pay up, fess up, listen up, and speak up. Let's look at each one of those uh, one by one. So what does it mean to pay up? Yeah, so, so pay up is sort of the unique one, and, and I started with this application because this was the topic at issue, people withholding payment uh, of their workers and, and probably appropriating their lands and throwing them in prison. Um, so if we're going to start identifying with the exploited and oppressed, the first thing to do is begin paying them well mm-hmm. uh, for those of us in a position to do so. Um, and, and this is sort of uh, drawing on the, the fess up and speak up points as well. When you are not uh, only paying people what you agreed to pay them, but actually paying them well and generously, you are actively repenting of your greed if you struggle with that. Hmm. You are, in a sense, speaking up for them, right? You are using your resources to help provide for others. The rich in this passage were dehumanizing people, using them, exploiting them. And the question is, do any of us struggle with that? 
Do we perhaps see people as merely economic inputs, labor, service providers, customers, suppliers, right? It's easy to reduce someone down to their financial cost or contribution to our own bottom line. Mm -hmm. When we do that, the incentive is to pay them the least necessary amount to get what we want from them. It's Hmm. very transactional and impersonal. Paying up means to look at these people as real, full human beings. They have callings. They have pasts. They have dependents to provide for. They have debts. We are doing business with human beings, and paying them well is acknowledging that. For those of us who feel like we are neither exploited nor exploiters, one way we wait patiently and faithfully for God's justice to come is by paying up. Now, Finally, James tells us to, to look to the prophets of the Old Testament as examples of patiently waiting, and the prophets were quite active. We can see them do these other three, fess up, listen up, speak up. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they paid up, but we do know that they seem to live lives above reproach. That's the mm-hmm. point. They mm-hmm. saw themselves as members of God's covenant community and operated as such. They did not see themselves as fundamentally uh, individual operators. So if if our task is to be proclaiming God's goodness and coming justice that restores all things, of course we should be generous people and generous Mm -hmm. to others and and see ourselves as a a blessing to the broader community. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, as an example, one of our elders who owns a small business who's told you that he wants his employees to be the best paid in that industry. Absolutely. It's an incredible yeah. ambition, and, and one I hope you know Christians who hear this mm-hmm. uh, share. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so then what does it mean to fess up? Right, and, and so we're talking here, of course, about confessing, right? And I just, mm-hmm. I just needed to keep the parallelism. <laughs> I like it, man. I like thankfully, it. Thankfully, yeah, there's a term, fess up. Yeah, um, sure. Right? Confess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in this case, because again, we're talking about economic exploitation, uh, in this specific case, it's repenting of our greed. Uh, repenting of our, our concentration of wealth and power. Um, again, the prophets didn't confess to this specifically, but they did confess their own sins and the sins of their people. Mm-hmm. Um, the sin James mentions here is hoarding wealth in order to live in luxury and self-indulgence. And, you know, Matt, I think this is a question every well-off Christian struggles with, or they should struggle with, mm-hmm. which is, you know, how much is enough? Yeah. How much do I need? What what kind of life am I supposed to provide for my dependents? How much do I need as I age so I don't become their dependent? Mm-hmm. Um, these are really hard questions, and and I truly just want to keep that question in front of us and, and make us uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Many of us need to confess our greed and sensuality and self indulgence. Asking God for forgiveness and a change is a start to that. Now, mm-hmm. what else can we do? Right. What what are some other aspects of fessing up here, um, particularly to our our luxury and self indulgence and concentration of wealth? What one thing to do is to fast. Fasting mm. is a good way of beginning to loosen the grip of various appetites on us. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. and we can think specifically of food and drink right now. So when we when we sort of institute a practice of fasting we begin to see that we don't necessarily have to live this way in self-indulgence. Um, and then actually on the other side of that is of fasting is feasting. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't self-indulge except on special occasions, special weeks. This was God's design for Israel. 
He wanted his people to enjoy good food and drink together for days on end. He appointed times for them to do that. He expected his people to be a feasting people, mm-hmm. but not every day, right? Yeah, for, right for many of right. us, we eat and drink like every day or almost every day is a feast day. Yeah. So what we can do is we can be thoughtful and intentional about enjoying the luxuries God has blessed us with and that we can afford, right? We can be intentional about doing those in specific times and seasons and weeks, mm-hmm. right? And being thankful for them as opposed to sort of acting like we're entitled to this and this is just normal uh, standard operating practice. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's growing in generosity, right? So one way to think about it, don't just give away more money each year. Give away a higher percentage of your income each year, Mm -hmm. right? So have that ambition for the percentage to be rising each year. Um, As you're thinking about a, a, a new big purchase you need to make or the next nice vacation to take, maybe purposefully lower your budget and give away the difference of what you would have spent uh, to, to the church or to uh, another great cause. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, some things simply need to be gotten rid of or cut out of your life. Um, and, and one useful rule that we saw when we went through the, the Gospels is, you know, don't sell everything you own, sell everything that owns you. Oh, that's good. You know, so, so yeah. we, think, we think hard about the possessions and the wealth that seems to have power over us. Man, cut it out! You know, like Jesus says, cut your hand off, pluck your eye out, right? Do what it takes. And some of these things we just need to get rid of, and we just need to let go of, and we need God's help and grace and spirit to do that. So those are just a few things in terms of how we can really respond to fessing up. Great. So then what about um, listening up or listen up? Yeah. So listen up, you know, it it, it first means recognizing that our greed and self-centeredness has clogged up our ears. Right, mm-hmm. so just sort of understanding that maybe we don't listen as we ought to or should. Right, we not we might not be hearing the cry of the poor and oppressed because we're too busy chasing the Silicon Valley story that we mm. talked about last week. We're living our best life now, and that yeah. doesn't include listening to sad stories. Right, <laughs> we often right. don't give the time and attention to people crying out because we have other things we want to do. So we need to stop and listen. We need to give time to people who are telling a different story than we're living. Uh, their story isn't necessarily upward mobility or safety and success. Their story makes us feel uncomfortable because we don't know what to say, we mm. don't know what to do, and we don't want to get caught up in something that will cost us our own goals and success. Hmm. And, I, and I guess that's the problem with listening up. If you are really listening, you're at least opening yourself up to the possibility of acting upon it, upon what you hear. right. And when you hear a desperate or compelling cry for help, it's hard to just turn away. It's easier to plead ignorance, plausible deniability. I Mm -hmm. didn't know. Well, you don't know because you're trying not to know, because Mm. you're afraid of what you know might force you to do something, right? You're afraid of the choices you'd face. I remember studying in Germany. I'm sorry I didn't use this illustration, so I'm going to use it again someday. I remember studying in Germany, going to Buchenwald concentration camp. Oh, yeah. And when the American forces showed up uh, there in in 1945, of course, they were horrified by what they saw. So they made all the Germans in the surrounding area come and walk through the camp and confront Mm. uh, what uh, their regime had done. 
And uh, one story goes that a German woman was protesting to the American soldiers. We didn't know about this. We didn't know. And a U.S. soldier said something in return like, lady, we knew about it back in America. Of Mm -hmm. course you knew. Hmm. In Scripture, there are hints that God will judge people differently based on what they knew. But Scripture seems pretty clear that God will not acquit people for what they could have known but close their ears to. So, mm. so we need to be very thoughtful about this, right? Are we, are we not hearing anything because we don't want to listen, because we don't want to be forced to act? We must open up our ears and listen up. Mm-hmm. And then the last one you mentioned was um, speak up. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, we speak up after we've listened up and fessed up, right? This is, this is what the prophets primarily did. They, they listened. They, they listened to the cry of the poor. They listened to God and his word, and then they spoke up. They saw hypocrisy. They saw injustice. They saw unrighteousness. They called it out, and they particularly targeted the political and religious elite of their day. Now, most of us are not called to speak to a whole culture that way, and only a handful of prophets were called to do that overall. But we are called to speak up and speak into our places of influence when people are being marginalized or exploited at your workplace, at your school, your HOA, Mm -hmm. your social group, right? I'm sure all of us have stories of times they wished they'd have spoken up. And again, here's another illustration I'm going to use one day, and I'm sorry Mm -hmm. I didn't use it on Sunday. I remember being on my high school wrestling team. We were a good team. And uh, good wrestlers are usually rough characters, which tells Mm -hmm. you, you know, I wasn't a good wrestler. Anyway, (laughs) I remember there was one guy younger than me, not much heavier than me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we wrestled in practice sometimes, and he was always picked on by one guy a year older than me, right? So I was a junior, this guy was a sophomore, this other guy was a senior. Mm-hmm. He also wasn't much heavier. The younger guy was Jewish, and we didn't have many Jews in uh, our school. Yeah. This older guy would hound him constantly and, and say the vilest anti-Semitic things to him, you know, that a teenage boy with all the vulgarity uh, could muster. And, and the problem was this older guy who was doing the bullying, he was state champion, Right, mm. so you weren't going to beat him on the mat. Right. So this younger guy just had to sit there and take it silently. And as far as I know, no one spoke up for him. No one. Oh, brutal. And I deeply regret not speaking up. You know, I was thinking about this. This, this came to mind for the first time in years, just the other night. I was thinking about it. This older guy, he could have he could have beaten me on the mat, you know, but I really wasn't afraid of him. He wasn't going to hurt me real bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I I wrestled state champions all the time. The the best wrestler in the country was in my weight weight class the next school over. So like I wasn't afraid yeah. of, of wrestling a, a state champion and I was actually pretty good at sort of like just taking a beating but not getting hurt like that's <laughs> like I I hold a record for being on my back for five and a half minutes and not getting pinned, right? So yeah, you, that's good, man. Yeah, I mean uh, yeah. that that's that's my talent. Uh, so it's a good it's like, training for being a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Mad, you unfortunately do know the uh, half of it. Um, yes. You know, so the point is, I, I should have spoken up. I, I had nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I could have shamed this other guy. It, he would have whipped my butt on the mat, but it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. And I didn't do it. But hopefully, I'll do it the next time I have a chance. The point is, right, we still need to lean into and enact justice. It's mm-hmm. going to be limited, right? We're waiting for ultimate justice, but patiently waiting, uh, actively waiting. It means not taking vengeance. 
It means not giving up hope, and to the degree that we can live and do justice, we must. So when we pray up, fess up, listen up, and speak up, you said God will show up. How <laughs> How so? Yeah, and I specifically said when we speak up, God shows up, and we, mm-hmm. we use the the example of Job, because that's what James does. And, you know, how does he show up? Well, he shows up in, in one or two ways. One way he shows up to do—he actually shows up to do justice here on earth uh, in a limited way, right? He he does punish the wicked. He he does stop their schemes. He, he does protect the innocent in some way. And when we read the Old Testament, we see how God uses nations to punish the injustice of other nations. And I have no problem thinking about World War II that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nazis and the German nation were punished. Um, God, uh, you know, is doing this all the time, but not in every every situation. Um, so we can't say that he always shows up to immediately punish the wicked and, and protect the innocent, but God always shows up for the hurting who cry out to him. He is near the brokenhearted and downcast. He is with the innocent victims. It's like the end of, uh, of chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, where Israel's groaning under Egyptian slavery, and, God, and it says, God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. Hmm. But now that Jesus has come and lived the life of, of one of the exploited and victimized, by his Spirit, he is literally with those who cry out to him from pain and sadness and fear. God is present with you as you speak up and out for justice. And again, this is a point in reference to Job, right, which is one of the ways the Bible answers the question about suffering. Why does suffering happen? What is its purpose? What about the people who don't deserve it? Hmm. One of the answers the book of Job gives us is that though we don't get all of our specific answers, right, because how could we even understand the answers if we were given them, we do get God's presence and grace, while we wait patiently for God's justice, fessing up, listening up, speaking up, we can expect his presence and grace through his son, Jesus Christ. He is with us all the days of our life. <laughs> when God shows up, will we feel like justice has been satisfied? So you mean at the end of days? No, I mean like just on a day-to-day thing, we're, we're saying we're praying for this. You said God's going to show up. Will we feel like it now? You know, I think I think what we can feel like is that we can be we can be reminded that we have hope, right? Mm-hmm. So what what will will we are shown the cross, right? The Holy Spirit's job is to point us consistently back to Jesus, mm-hmm. and so we will feel um, that you know what God has answered this. He has answered this this prayer. He has answered this dilemma. He has answered this injustice, and so the God showing up is reminding us, my son. My son has taken this upon himself, or my son is returning as the victorious king, and mm-hmm. he will put all things to right, everything. So yes, I mean, we, we should have a sense that justice is satisfied and will be satisfied, and you know, frankly, we, beyond that, we should be pushed to um, what does it mean to uh, extend forgiveness or the potential mm-hmm. of reconciliation to these people? What does it mean to pray for your enemies? I mean, this is what's so different between sort of human justice and godly justice, where yeah. Jesus is praying for the people who are crucifying him at that moment, right? And we are called to pray for our enemies and the people who do injustice to us. And so when when God shows up, it, it's not only, hey, this is going to be paid for one way or another, it's also, 
hey, what does what does peacemaking look like? Mm-hmm. What does forgiveness look like in your life and in this situation? And that's real full justice. Yeah, you've touched on this already, but I think given the national conversation about about justice, what what does the cross bring to those who crave justice? Yeah, I mean, the cross brings God's ultimate statement about evil and suffering and what he tends to do about it, right? He takes evil and suffering uh, <laughs> deadly seriously, right? The cross is God's judgment mm-hmm. on injustice and evil, uh, and at the same time, it is his way of identifying with the victims and marginalized. So the cross tells people who crave justice that God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows which is what sets up the Exodus, and now God has decisively acted through his Son to rescue humans from every kind of slavery. The cross is called Jesus' Exodus, right, at hmm. the, at the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, right? So, so God has acted through Jesus to rescue humans from every kind of slavery. Nothing escapes justice. Either God pays for it himself on the cross, or the individual will bear full responsibility for their actions when the resurrected Christ returns. Justice will be done, and the cross reminds us that we are not just one or the other, exploited or exploiters, we are both victims and victimizers. Mm -hmm. The cross justifies us, the ungodly, the unrighteous. So we will not be doers of justice until we understand and receive the justice that has been done for us on the cross. We have been justified in Jesus Christ. And so at the end of days, when Jesus returns, we'll be able to say, as Paul sums it up in Philippians 2, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? Hmm. We will see how in God's plan, every wrong has been used for some good. Every wrong is righted and straightened. Every wrongdoer and sinner who wants new life will receive it. Everyone who wants peace with their enemies will receive it. Everyone who wants restoration will get it. That's real justice. To Jesus be all the glory. Amen. And what a great way to kind of live our lives with the hope that uh, of his return when all things will be made right. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob, again for your time uh, today. You got it. The title of Bob's sermon is Patience. It's part of our sermon in our series from the book of James. You can find that sermon in all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays for in-person outdoor worship. We meet at 11 a.m. in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. Look for that email sign up from one of our pastors. If you're not getting those emails, we would encourage you to visit our website, again, gracesouthbay.com, and click on the connect button at the top. Fill out the connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. You can also submit a prayer request using the prayer button at the top of our website. If you can't join us for in-person worship, we're live streaming our services on Facebook and YouTube. So join us at 11 or whenever is convenient for you because you can access the service anytime afterwards. We know these are challenging times, so let us know how we can care for you. We have pastors, elders, youth leaders, a diaconate team, a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or phone call away. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.